We've been discussing the husband and the wife now for, oh, let's see, six weeks, six different broadcasts, that is. And uh, during that time, we've talked about a number of things, what submission involves. A lot of wives ask that question. Husbands are interested, too. And, of course, we saw that it involves two elements, respect and obedience. Then uh, how far does that obedience go? And we saw that the husband has a right to ask everything of his wife that Christ has authorized him to ask, but nothing more, that there is a limitation to his authority, namely the limitation that the word of God puts upon it. And we saw that the husband's headship involves uh, a loving leadership, that is, a headship like the headship of Christ, in which uh, that headship involves doing everything that one does for the sake of his wife, just as Christ does everything that he does for the sake of his church, according to the last part of the first chapter of Ephesians. We also saw in 1 Peter 3, 7, that husbands had to live with their wives in an understanding way. Uh, That is, they had to really get to know their wives in order to live properly. If you're going to be the head of an organization, you've got to understand the people that work for you. You're going to be the head of a home. You're surely going to have to understand your wife who must function so closely with you. And then we also notice that it says to live with her as with a weaker vessel. A lot of people have the idea that that is very ludicrous because the wife isn't that much weaker. She's much stronger than the husband. But it doesn't say that she's a weaker vessel. It says you live with her as you would live with a weaker vessel or as we translated it somewhat loosely, but gave the idea as with a fragile vase. How do you live with a fragile vase? With much care and tenderness, and you become a true gentle man as a Christian. And then we looked uh, at verse 8, which uh, we're going to take another look at today and in several broadcasts to come, verses 8 and 9, in which we had a summary of the whole discussion of the husband-wife relationship in which Peter says, to sum up, Let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Now we looked at the last time at verse 8 at the word harmonious. And we saw that in order to have harmony, in order to have music, rather than chords that clash, discords, and cacophony in a marriage, that what we need is a standard, the Word of God, to bring about that harmony, to bring about that oneness, that unity which a marriage ought to have and which will bring about the basic elements of companionship for which marriage was begun in the first place. You remember that marriage was begun because man was alone, and God said it was not good for the man to be alone. And so the real essence and the real heart and core of the marriage relationship is quite different from the essence or the core of a relationship between animals. Animals mate, but human beings marry. And marriage is a covenantal relationship, far beyond merely a sexual relationship. And it is a covenant of companionship, which is at the heart, the core, or the essence of what marriage is all about. So harmony comes. And when harmony comes, real companionship takes place. But there's another element in companionship, sympathy, being sympathetic for the other partner. Now, this goes, of course, both directions. The husband has to become sympathetic toward his wife. The wife has to become sympathetic toward her husband. 
The problem with the word sympathy today is that it has been kind of uh, denatured. We have, when we hear the word sympathy, all sorts of notions that uh, are conjured up in our mind. For example, we talk about sympathy cards, and uh, they're usually uh, rather somber-looking affairs that have to do with a death or a great illness or a loss or something, and we send a sympathy card. We go down to the card store and find one of these somber-looking affairs that uh, uh, may have a few uh, dried flowers on the front and uh, some kind of a very uh, stodgy verse inside, uh, or maybe just simply the word sympathy on the front of it and nothing else uh, besides that, and you write your own little word of sympathy underneath. And we have discharged our sympathy by writing our card. Or we think of being sympathetic in another way as, as somebody who uh, simply uh, uh, settles down for the opinion of the person uh, with whom he is sympathetic. Uh, that is, uh, here is somebody suffering, here is somebody grieving, here is somebody in trouble, and you just go and you sit. Or you go and you, uh, you show sympathy by saying, oh, it is so bad, you're right. Things are really so dark, so drear, so dismal. I'm so sorry that this has happened to you. And that's how you've showed your sympathy. Sympathy is simply agreement. Sympathetic agreement is what is in view in most people's mind when they think of sympathy. Now, I want to suggest that real sympathy, maybe even the word empathy ought to be used at this point, which is a deeper word to enter into another person's uh, experience rather than to simply suffer with the other person, as the word uh, uh, sympathy means. But uh, sympathy or empathy involves something far more than mere agreement. Sympathy, usually of a biblical sort, involves disagreement at some point. While there is certainly an agreement about the seriousness of the nature of one's problem, and I don't want to be misunderstood here. When we become sympathetic for another, we understand his difficulties, we understand his problems. We don't lightly brush them aside as though they didn't exist or minimize them saying, oh, come on, things aren't that bad, old fellow, buck up. Uh, but when we are really, truly sympathetic, we recognize the depth of the other person's dilemma or his problem or his situation. Sympathetic understanding then of another means that you really do recognize what the circumstances are for themselves. You don't minimize, you don't change, you don't alter the reality of the situation and hope thereby somehow to uh, cheer up the other person. Of course, sympathy may be uh, in, in joyous things. It doesn't need to be simply uh, reserved for the negative or bad things that happen to us. To be truly sympathetic to another person's joys means to understand the fullness of the joy that he has, just as to be sympathetic to a person's sorrows means to understand the depth of his grief. However, there ought to always be an element of disagreement in sympathy when the other person sees no way out of his problem. Of course, if you're rejoicing with someone, you don't have to disagree with him. You can agree that it's wonderful and go on, but you may even have to disagree there if he accepts the joys and he accepts the wonder of what has happened apart from acknowledgement that it has come from God. To be truly sympathetic with his joys at that point is to point him beyond where he has thus seen the joy to, to extend and to say, isn't it wonderful what God has done for you? and to introduce into the situation something even deeper to make his joy even greater and to direct it toward God and his honor and his glory. But to be sympathetic with somebody who grieves or who sorrows 
is to always come and to say to him, yes, it is bad, but it's not hopeless as you're saying. It's not without an end as you say. It's not without some kind of way out. God has an answer. And to be truly sympathetic then is to see the depth of the problem, but also to offer the depth of Christ's solution. It is not to minimize the problem, but it is to maximize Jesus Christ as the one who has the answer to that person's problems. So to be truly sympathetic is to come with an answer from the Word of God, to not only feel the problem the other person feels or to feel the joy the other person feels, but also to go beyond the experience that he has and to say, how is God involved in it, for good or for evil, or whatever the situation is, what is the solution, what is the answer, or how is God to be honored in this circumstance? Lord, help us in our marriages to be truly sympathetic with one another, to differ where we must, but to always bring in the element of what God means in this circumstance. For we pray in Christ's name, amen.